Welcome to Story Story Night, where you hear true stories on a theme recorded live in Boise, Idaho. I'm your host, Jody Eichelberger. We are rebooting in our 12th season by revisiting themes from our first season. On this podcast, the people rose up, brave audience members, let go of inhibitions, and stormed the stage to share stories inspired by the theme Rebellion, stories of you say you want a revolution. It's story time. David Lee. All right. Rebellion. Rebellion takes a lot of energy, which I don't have right now. But those of you who might have followed my stories over the last few years, you know I've been fighting a rebellion against terminal disease, which takes a lot of energy in itself. That's a hard, hard thing to take on by yourself. And I specifically wanted to call out part of my fellow warriors in that, in that battle, my friends from St. Luke's Elks Neuro Rehab, Amber Beal, my occupational therapist, Abby Linford, my, my physical therapist. I want to shout it for all of them, folks. Thank you. Now, I suppose if I really want to be rebellious, I could drain this cat bag right here. I don't, I'm not going to do that. Okay, that's all I have for tonight. Thank you, folks. Thank you, Brian Lee, who's here from Chicago to help me out. Ben's coming up to share a story. How you guys doing tonight? Yeah, you know, me and my buddies climbed up a really steep hill one day. And, you know, we got on a, a paraglider. And, you know, we got on the harness and we tried taking off. But the wind kept coming, kept blowing us back. I said, no, we got it. We got to take off. We walked all the way up here. And I ate all, I did not just eat all those granola bars for nothing. <laughs> so we lifted up again, tried to take off again. Wind blowed us back again. Couldn't get up. Well, did that for about 45 minutes. Said, you know what? We're going to go home and we're gonna build a motor and we're gonna attach it to the harness and we're gonna come back and then we're gonna really take off. Well, got a whole bunch of parts, we started building it and then while we were building it, got a really, 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 really special turbo. We put it in there, we built it, and we went back up to that mountain, we took off, we started freaking out. (laughs) Started going a lot faster than we wanted to, and we flew a lot higher than we wanted to. Then we really started freaking out, because uh, we're not pilots. <laughs> well, you know, we were up there, and, you know, I was with my buddy, and, you know, I mean, we just got to thinking, you know, these people, you guys are the greatest things that exist in the entirety of the universe. 
And, you know, of course, you wouldn't know that because here we are. We have all this pressure and we have all these expectations and we have all this everything that being here asks of us. You know, we have people who wear suits and ties and goes in the buildings and says what we can or cannot do. You know, everything. And I just want to say, you guys are kicking ass every time you wake up in the morning. You know, you guys are just kicking ass every time you wake up in the morning because just look at this place. Really, just look at this place. And you know what? If you guys had a hard time in the past, or if you guys are having a hard time in any way, if you guys are broken in any way, if you guys are hard time, anything that's going on, anything, just be happy for it because you guys are just, that all that's just going to turn into strength forever. And, you know, just be happy every second of every day, you know. Don't get, don't, don't even with this place, guys. This is not our home. This is just a war zone. And, you know, rebellion, rebellion. Well, if you look back all throughout history, you know, this place has never been right. This place, really think about, has this place ever been right? There's always been people hurting people. And, you know, I need you guys' help. Because for the first time in all times, we're going to build a world that's right. A place where things are right. Things have never been right in this world ever. For the first time in all time, this place is going to be our home, not a war zone. A place where we can go down the road and not have someone hurt us who is flashing lights because they put up signs, you know? All of it. All of it. Don't, eat, don't ever let this place get you guys. Just be happy. You know, just be excited, guys. Be excited, because, you know, we're all going to party together. But, hey, I love you guys. And, yeah, just be excited. Laura H. Hello. Here she comes. I was in college. I was in the Honors College, something I was very proud of. And I had managed to move away from both my parents, who lived in Idaho. I went to uh, Washington State University, which, as many of you know, is just a short eight miles away from Idaho. So, you know, just enough rebellion to say that I went out of state, but not enough to actually be far away. <laughs> I met her in a writing class. I've always been about the word. I'm very passionate and very picky about the word, which is why I became an editor. Makes sense, right? And frankly, I hated everything she wrote. And she hated everything that I wrote, so it was fine. <laughs> 
we argued in class all the time. To the point where I think our teacher was about, hmm, oh, I don't know, five seconds away from giving us a permanent red card on speaking in class because we were both so sick of each other and all the other classmates were so sick of us <laughs> that we had spoken enough for more than one semester. But what I liked about her was that she challenged me. I was picky, I had strong opinions. And she did too. And we started to encounter each other on other areas of campus, not just class, but the writing center where we both ended up working. And the more I learned about her, the more I really wasn't you know, into her whole thing. She was uh, from Southern Central Washington, Bickleton. If anybody knows Bickleton, I will, oh my gosh, one person knows, oh my gosh. Were you one of the 15 people that lived there? Okay, all right, whew, I was like, whew. <sighs> she was deeply religious. She had long, dark hair, braided, she was already engaged. She was a freshman and already engaged. And me, a young queer woman who had railed against religion and its role in my family and the role of conservatism in a destructive way in my family, I was like, okay, well, you don't like my writing. Well, I don't like your politics or your writing either. But I like that she listened. And when I managed to rein in my reactivity and explain to her not only why that sentence was fucking perfect, step off, but also <laughs> why it hurt so much that our last president was elected, for example, she listened to me. And I listened to her, too. I, I really tried my best to understand why it was so important to her to get married young for that approval from her family, why it was so important to her to continue to going to church and developing that, developing that relationship. And though every bone in both of our bodies, and I am 100% sure she would agree, <laughs> told us that we shouldn't be friends, that we shouldn't come together in any other circumstance, we probably wouldn't have, actually. We did. We were the best of friends. When she got pregnant, I was the first one she told. When she and her husband started having problems, she came to me. When I had my first major breakup, she was the one I called. And when her first son was born, I was the one who sat next to her and held her hand and told her that even though the delivery was rough, it was gonna be okay. I think we both rebelled against our instincts to seek approval from the groups that we belong to. We rebelled against this sort of historical reenactment of what came before you know, as both of our speakers have already spoken about tonight. 
we realized the strength in each other and instead of making us rivals, we decided to come together. And she's still my best friend today. I don't know what I would do without her, actually. <laughs> she has two kids now. I miss the delivery of the second one, which I deeply regret. But I still fed her kid ice cream for the first time, so I'm obviously the coolest god mother, clearly, right? And I know that we're going to be in each other's lives forever. As we continue moving forward after the world has been crippled by the pandemic and the economy in some ways, I hope that every one of you have a chance to stop. And before you make a decision, ask yourself whether you're reenacting a historical pattern that comes easily to you, that comes instinctively to you, that makes you feel safe, that holds back the loneliness. And instead, I hope you choose something that makes the whole community stronger, not just your little tribe. Something that builds a better community, that builds a better understanding of not just Idaho, but the world, not just English, but all the global languages. Because I learned a lot from her. She made me a better person, and I think we can all do that for each other. Thank you. Welcome, Annika. Hi, my name is Annika. I want to tell a story about my grandfather, who was named Rob Twilliger. Um, my parents, growing up, my mom has been a nurse at St. Luke's for 25 years. She is badass. Um, and when I was a kid, she worked in labor and delivery, and so she worked like most of the time 11 to 11. Um, and my dad worked building services at St. Luke's. They both have worked at St. Luke's for a very long time, very proud of them. Um, and he worked like 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. or 4 p.m. And so during the summers or anytime we weren't with my parents, we'd go to my grandfather's house. And um, he was just like, he was kind of like a third parent because we spent so much time with him. And I think this is probably a very common experience for people with grandparents is you get really close to them and, and they're like a parent to you. And I ended up just being super close with him. And um, when I was 12, I remember my parents sitting us down and telling us that he had been diagnosed with stage four esophageal cancer. And obviously this was heartbreaking. And I remember when you're, when you're 12, you don't really know what stage four means. And I remember going on like some, it's not the World Health Organization, but some online website that told me, showed us a spreadsheet of the survival rates for esophageal cancer, and it was like stage one, two, three, four, and the, the chart showed how many, what percent of people live for five years after their diagnosis, and for stage four, people, only 3% of people live after five years. So I remember being 12 and seeing that and just not being able to process that my best friend and the, the person that was my parent was going to die. Um, and, and, this story is about something that gives me a lot of like gratitude for the person that he was after his death. Um, and I, so something that was very important for the context of the story is that my grandfather was extremely political. He loved talking about politics. Um, and I remember we would go on these walks on the Greenbelt almost every day with his friends from high school, Jerry and Kenny. 
and they would talk politics the entire time. And us, me and my siblings would just be like, you guys, like, let's play, let's have fun. And they just wanted to talk about whatever was going on in politics. And another thing that's important to the story is my grandfather was, before I was born, he was confined to a wheelchair for most of the time. He was able to walk with crutches, but it was very painful for him because shortly before my older sister was born, he was at work. I think he, I'm not really sure, I think he worked construction and he lifted a door and it did a lot of damage to his back and he ended up having screws and metal plates in his back for the remainder of his life. Um, and... I remember like one of the acts of rebellion that we had was when we would go on these green belt walks with him and his friends. At some point, one of my siblings discovered that there was a little platform on the back of his battery powered wheelchair that we could stand on. And we started like doing this thing where we would stand on the back of his motorized wheelchair and ride around. And he thought it was the funniest shit ever. Like he just thought, cause there's something hilarious about, yeah, like a 60 year old man pulling up with like a five year old riding on the back of his wheelchair. Um, so I, I remember that very fondly. And I remember uh, when I was 12 and he had already been diagnosed, we went to Costco with my younger sibling and it was me and my grandpa and my sibling and we were leaving Costco and he was in his wheelchair and uh, he, we were like approaching his van, his wheelchair lift van and it had a bumper sticker on it. This was in 2014 or 2013 and the sticker said, I'm ready for Hillary. And this man, in, uh, he was a veteran, he had a veteran's hat on, and he offered kindly to help my grandfather and I um, and my sibling load his groceries in the car. And he starts loading our groceries in with my grandfather, and then he sees the bumper sticker, and he said, you're ready for Hillary? You're gonna get about as much help from Hillary as you're gonna get from me. And then he left my grandfather and us in the parking lot alone. Uh, so that was, I guess, his act of rebellion. And I don't even remember what happened, I was just like, you're, you're 12, but you know what's going on. And my grandpa was just like, okay, whatever. Um, and laughed it off like he did. And, and I think, you know, that was just like one of those things that was like, damn, yeah, this person is, first of all, needs help because of his disability and is also, the man didn't know, but is dying of cancer. And that little act of kindness was so kind. And I, I love that last story because it was about like, you know, talking to people that you wouldn't usually talk to. And I think that that was one of those instances where people could have just been kind to each other. Um, but that's not what this is about. What this all kind of culminates to is my, my mother's act of rebellion that followed my grandfather's death, which was, again, yeah, he was a very political person. He loved talking politics. Every time we went over to his house, he had some news station playing. And after he died, my mom and my uncle went to the mortuary to go fill out his um, death certificate and get all of his things in order, get his urn and whatnot. And my mom came home and she had the biggest smile on her face. And I was like, you just went and like got all your things in order for your dead father, why are you so happy? Um, and she told me it was because when you fill out a death certificate, they give you the option to list somebody's job. And my grandfather, because of his disability, had not been employed since I had, he'd never been employed, like since I was born. Um, and so they realized that it's not really like, you don't have to put a job, it's kind of just for statistic purposes. Um, but they decided to list his occupation as a political analyst. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that was my mom's really awesome act of rebellion that gives me a lot of gratitude for her and for my grandfather and for, yeah, these memories of, of him and, and all the ways that she and him rebelled. And, and I just love that, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Beam. In 1978, I worked in the ER at St. Luke's. 
and we had a pretty strict dress code, uh, dress code back then. We wore white dresses, we wore white pants, we wore white shoes. And I had these pair of white Nike tennis shoes. And one day, the uh, supervisor, Hannah Turney, which could scare the shit out of many nurses, and you better have a good excuse when you called in sick, and Renee, the um, assistant head nurse, called me into this little coffee shop that used to be on the first floor. And they said, we're uh, concerned about your shoes. I said, why? They're white. Well, they're not in dress code. Well, they're white. Well, but they got that red thing on the side. Well, I had to painstakingly take that red whoosh off the side and had a little pinpoint design the entire time I wore that. But Hannah said, well, you know, it's just that once there's a one brick out of the wall, the rest is history. <laughs> January 19, uh, excuse me, January 2017, I went to the Women's March in Washington, D.C. with my sister Christy, her daughter Amanda, Amanda's grandmother and aunt on her dad's side, and a dear friend of Christy's from junior high. So we represented Idaho, Washington, Montana, Connecticut, and New York. And it felt like a worldwide rebellion. I mean, all of us marching and listening and doing anything. And we stayed an extra day. And we were at um, the Lincoln Memorial. And there was still lots of, lots of pink hats there. And pretty soon, somebody started uh, telling me what democracy looks like. This is what democracy looks like. And we're chanting. And then there's one guy that did not want to know what democracy looked like. <laughs> started maniacally screaming at us. And just running back and forth. And we're like, oh, we're trying to get out of here. And so we think. And just as we're leaving, the Capitol Police came. And they closed the Lincoln Memorial. I don't know if I really want that as, as something that I've done, closing the Lincoln Memorial. It's a beautiful place. But when I got home, one thing that was empowered of us into us was call your members of Congress, call your members of Congress. So I got home, I started calling my members of Congress regularly. In my phone, under Congress, has Rish, Simpson, Crapo. And I go down the line, and I, and I call them. And a couple of them, particularly Risha's office, they try to cut me off. And I'm like, I'm not done yet. You might not like what I'm saying, but it's your job to listen to me. Let me back off. So my sister Christy says, you got to be on some FBI list. You know? <laughs> they probably see your name when it comes on. They're like, oh, I don't want to talk to her. No, it's your turn. No, she yells at me. <laughs> so, yeah, you got to be on some FBI's list, at least most annoying. And I'm so proud of it. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to see the storytellers, in addition to hearing them, this entire show is available on the Story Story Night YouTube channel. 
Support this podcast by texting STORYPOD to 44321. Story Story Night receives support from the Boise Arts and History Department and is funded in part by the Idaho Commission on the Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you to our media sponsor, Radio Boise, and our season sponsor, The Boise Group. Podcast production is by Stephen Baldessari. Our theme song was composed by Dan Costello. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts. Have a story? Call the storyline at 208-917-1970 and leave a message. Please subscribe to Story Story Night on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download your podcast. Find out how to participate in our live show at storystorynight.org or visit us on Facebook. I'm Jody Eichelberger. Thanks for being a part of our story. Story.